Welcome, one and all, to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast. My name's Imran, TJ Sutherland, Dan Colacott, with new episodes released on the first and third Mondays of the month. Catch Close Encounters of the Nerdkind Podcast at foreverinelectricdreams.com. Welcome, friends. You're tuned in to another episode of the Close Encounters of the Nerd Kind podcast. How are you? My name is Imran. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you are time in your company, uh, we have an excellent show uh, for you today. I'm chomping at the bit to kind of uh, dive in. Before we do, it's uh, a quick reminder that the Close Encounters podcast releases new episodes on the first and third Mondays of every month. I uh, would love for you to check us out at foreverinelectricdreams.com. We will find our complete backlist uh, podcast uh, catalog as well as uh, a bunch of other articles uh, in support of uh, said podcasts. Um, as I said, my name is Imran. I'm joined uh, by uh, Daniel J. Collicott. How are you today? Hello, Daddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going all the way over to Montreal uh, to uh, Dennis Jose Francois, who is gracing us with his presence on the episode today. How are you? I'm good. Bonjour, hi, listeners. Bonjour, hi. Oh, I love that skit. <laughs> it's SNLing, right? Well, no, people actually say that here. Do they actually say bonjour? Yeah, that was, hi. The, that was the whole point of the skit, yeah. Oh, I thought they were just like just going, you know, French. Bonjour, hi. No, okay. no. So uh, you, you say bonjour, hi. Well, in Montreal they do so that when someone walks into a shop by saying bonjour, hi. If I respond bonjour, that, that I'm signalling I want to speak French. If I if I respond with hi or hello, that's signalling I want to speak English. And outside of Montreal, the rest of the Qu- Quebec is very angry about this because in Quebec it's supposed to be French, and they, they're like, no, no, you should just say bonjour. But Montreal is trying to get itself set up as a as an officially a bilingual city. So it's a bit of a political point of contention here, but um, it wow. makes sense for everybody. It means no one's awkward, you know? So, But it's not rude oh. for me to say bonjour, hi. It's not rude, but if you did that in Quebec, people would slap you in the face. They wouldn't slap me in the face. <laughs> no, but they probably wouldn't serve you. Um, because, really? Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a point. It's, it's quite a point of contention in some parts but in montreal it's completely normal to do that and that's the problem there's like no this has become normal it should never have been normal this is a french-speaking territory wow that's such an intricate issue i had no no idea at all it's a lot more fiery than i thought so yeah is it like when parisians really despise you for trying to speak french they just laugh in your face (laughs) Anyway, uh, we're, we're missing, we're, we're a man down today. Uh, I want to give a massive shout out to uh, our, our compadre Tej, uh, and we uh, hope to see him back super soon. Uh, much love to uh, him and Jess, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have them back. We are, we are delving in uh, to the concept of um, the, the recent batch of movies, basically, that basically uh, depict the, the villain as the hero i initially came up with a fairly short list of movies but um to kind of delve into like i had venom cruella suicide squad and joker but kind of delving into it more there's so much more from uh, maleficent to is it is the mobius film is that that's not out yet is it the jared leto one no it's that's not, not yet. out yet so no hmm? but he's not um he is he, he not a villain well he's playing a character type which is conventionally seen as a villain i.e vampirism but he's right. not a villain. He's just, a, I think, I mean, I haven't seen the film. He's a guy with vampire powers. Right. I'll strike that from the record. Um, but speaking of vampires, Dracula Untold, I thought would, would be a, a decent one to cite in this case as well. Um, so there's actually quite a lot of films recently that, as I say, position the uh, the villain as as the, the lead protagonist, basically. So 
it's kind of it, it's an interesting turn of events, I guess. Where, um, uh, but we're kind of looking at uh, villains repackaged um, in a sense of uh, I messed up all my words. Uh, kind of humanized and repackaged into kind of a new and presenting their motives into a new context. So there are a couple of parameters I'd like to put set out at the outset. This this podcast is not about uh, saying that. Uh, villains as the lead character in a movie is a new phenomenon because it absolutely isn't. Um, so we're, we're we're not sort of saying that you know we're not disregarding Michael Corleone in the Godfather from seventy two, I think it was, um, or, or or any gangster movie like Goodfellas, Casino, uh, Wolf of Wall Street again. Um, so we're we're absolutely not saying that that this is a new thing. Um, but again, that notion of kind of altering perspectives or perceptions of like an an established villain. And presenting their say, motives within like a sympathetic light uh, seems to be something a little bit uh, new. Seems to be something that's happening at the moment. So um, I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious as to kind of motives behind what makes a studio basically sit down and say, well, let's let's tackle a a character that has lived on screen in a comic book for decades and let's present them in a new light. Is it because we're running out of superhero stories to tell? Uh, or is it a case of we're running out of what those defining qualities that makes a good villain a villain? Dennis, let's go to you. We're obviously not in the age of the two-dimensional, dastardly comic book villain anymore, are we? No, we're not. But um, first of all, let me just go back to something you said a moment ago about the parameters and what we're not talking about. But mm. it's interesting that you mention, you know, the Godfather, Goodfellas and stuff like that, because those characters um, are based on real characters, even the fictitious ones are sort of derived from real characters. And what you're doing there is telling a story of someone that everybody knows is a is a bad guy, but you're sort of seeing the softer, more turmoil side of them. In looking at the list that you gave us before we started, that is comprised mainly out of fantasy and science fiction characters. And I think that's the difference here. We're, we're now we're dreaming up villains to make as the hero. I think this has culminated recently, very recently, in three very prominent things. So there's the Suicide Squad, sure, where you've clearly got a set of bad guys who are the protagonists. But then you've also got Loki and, to a certain degree, WandaVision, where, if you remember correctly, Wanda originally was a villain. Now, she's turned and become a hero, but even in WandaVision, she kind of becomes the villain again, sort of. Um, Loki is a definite clear case where you've got a villain who has now become a hero, effectively. Um, so it's obviously, you're right, a really popular thing. I mean, I'm sure the studios have metrics to say that this is a popular way to go. Are we tired? Is the real question, have we become tired of, you know, white bread heroes, you know, that can do no wrong, the Superman types and whatever. You could say that there was a, a sort of progression here we went from very, very clear-cut heroes to the sort of more quasi ones like, you know, Batman or even the Punisher or, mm. you know, Deadpool to now where, as you say, all out, you know, the Joker or Loki, as I pointed out, are now the main focus. Um, I sort of, when I think about this trend, I for a long time have wondered why, for instance, in video games why we never get to play, you know, cops. Like, if you look at most video games, you're always playing a gangster 
or a bad guy right. or someone who's, you know, not from the good side of society. There seems to be very few where you're actually playing a good guy, you know, you know, Grand Theft Auto is based around being bad. So maybe yeah. it's a general trend in society that the studios have noticed and picked up on and said, well, hey, let's... Because uh, even if you look at something like Breaking Bad, which is... Is that the downfall of, of a good person into a bad person? But all for majority of Breaking Bad, you're watching a guy do bad things, but you're rooting for him the whole time. Yeah, which maybe is different from a bad guy being a hero. Are we drawing a difference between the two? Because in Breaking Bad, he's not being a hero. He's being a bad guy, and we're rooting for him. Whereas you could argue that in Loki, he's actually being a hero. It's funny, Loki, to an extent, uh, I'm not debating what your point about Loki is. It's an absolutely apt one. But the, the thing with Loki always seemed like it was a change of pace just because of how popular he was. Do you know what I mean? Like of how popular uh, the Tom Hiddleston interpretation mm. of it was. And it just seemed like he was too likable for for them not to go that route with the character. Do you know what I mean? I do. But whatever the reason, they've taken the main bad guy from a series of films, not just one yeah. film, multiple, and made him the hero of his own series. Yeah. So that completely fits that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I always think, looked at the motives of it as being different, but no, yeah. I'm not disputing it at all. But I think, like, if you think about the Joker movie, which is a lot more interesting in time, that sort of fits more along with the Breaking Bad. Because in the Joker movie, he starts off as a normal guy. He doesn't start off as a bad guy in that film. Mm. And circumstances and the way he's treated by society and everything around him drives him into insanity, effectively. Now, I suppose you could argue he would have got there anyway. But it is, again, the downfall of a guy to the point where it just becomes extreme and he's just like, you know, killing people and doing all what and, and doing all what. So, mm. but I wonder if it's a trend in, you know, in, in societal tastes that we're sort of tired of the clean cut, perfectly moral uh, person sort of telling us how to behave. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Dan because he is one of those people. <laughs> wow okay. clean cut That's, perfectly uh, moral normally telling us how to behave dan oh okay i thought you were going in a different direction <laughs> with that <laughs> so i think it's i'm finding it impossible not to use a wrestling analogy for this because i if you look at if you look at most wrestlings particularly wwe um the, the type of storytelling and characterization that works the best is where the fans themselves are allowed to almost choose how they react and their opinion of any given wrestler, you know, during any given feud or storyline. There's always a huge amount of rebellion when you tell a group of wrestling fans, this guy here, he's, he's the face, he's the hero, you should be rooting for him, he should be defeating the bad guys, he's the one that you know we're, we're, we're pushing to the top. And then you've got another character and you're trying to say, he's the guy, you've got a boo, he's the bad guy, you should hate him, 
you should want him to lose. You should, we want him to have heat. And essentially, you see it time and time again, certainly over the last, uh, I think, uh, five, ten years, that fans just go, you know, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me. I'm going to make up my own mind about what I think of this character. And if I want to if I want to cheer the bad guy and make up, make up my own opinion and, uh, and root for him against the good guy, I'm going to. And that tends to be quite infectious in, you know, in wrestling audiences. Um, people just pick up on that, that they know when they're, they're being played. They know, they know when there's an agenda being forced and they don't, they don't like it. And I think there's, an air of that in society as well. Um, the villain is is something we almost all, well, speaking for myself maybe, not everyone, but I think a lot of people aspire to be like a villain because the villain gets to have fun by doing the things that we normally can't. So obviously they, they go on the boundaries of acceptability. They go over the boundaries of acceptability. But normally... A lot of the stories that are being told um, in film, it's it's someone who you know it's it's the classic. I, they don't play by the rules. They cut corners. It, it and this this kind of mentality goes back to Robin Hood. You know, this guy basically breaks the law by stealing from the rich, but he's giving it to the poor. So, you know, I I, I don't think it's anything new, but I think that. We're increasingly getting to the point as a society that we don't like being told who, what's good, what's bad, who we should root for, who we should support, who we should hate, who we should like. So I think maybe from a media, you know, from a cultural standpoint, we, we've, we've evolved beyond that. So you didn't use the term, but you're, you, you know there were elements of what you just described as being, say, the anti-hero, basically, yeah. uh, about yeah. the, those kind of characteristics of of you know people falling into certain uh, certain molds. Ultimately, and sort of just to tie in what you just said and something Dennis just said, you you, you both, I absolutely right. I think while we have, on one hand, this conversation is primarily about villains who are presented in a softer, more sympathetic light. We also have at the same time we have these these again anti-heroes like the punisher who i had written down as well as you know if you look at the netflix show you know that that interpretation of frank castle is a fairly merciless killer whether or not um you know he who he's killing obviously is um uh, is, is a certified bad guy but he still goes above and beyond you know where that line you know he goes way across the line of you know what justice should you know necessarily um entail but so that we also have again so that we have these villains in softer lights but we also have these heroes who are kind of you know there's like a thirst to see them go further and further into you know way beyond vigilante kind of realms but in terms of say the anti-hero i looked up um what would constitute a definition of 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 the anti-hero and um that there's this uh the website the masterclass website kind of had this awesome like three um kind of categories of 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 what the anti-hero kind of falls into the three sort of levels so you have the the pragmatic rebel who um 
uh, it says the pragmatic hero is a realist that they might associate with with both good guys and bad guys and take action uh, that they deem necessary to accomplish their mission. Their morals are for the most part good, but they won't hesitate to do what's needed to be heroic. Uh, then you have the unscrupulous antihero, which is the antihero whose morals fall into a gray zone. They have good intentions, but are driven more out of self-interest rather than the greater good. Um they don't think twice about how they achieve their goal and who they need to push out of their way. Sometimes even enjoy being on the dark side. And then we have the third category, which is a hero by any means necessary, which goes, in, goes into the realms of, say, Dexter, uh, which is a show I've never actually seen. But he, as I understand, is a, a serial killer um, who kills bad people. So there's that kind of almost saving grace for him. But yeah, that person who thinks they're doing a good thing, but... I think he he kills other serial. Yes, that's what, yeah, he kills. What, what did I? Isn't that? What, yeah, I think I said something similar. But uh, yeah, he kills. You said you said he kills bad, bad guys. guys. So I was just yeah. making it a bit more specific. But yeah, right. I'm, I'm quibbling. Um, so it's but again, he thinks he's doing the the right thing, which I guess is there's an element of Walter White in there, a guy who you know wrote a hell is paid with good intentions. Um, but I, I think a lot of this conversation is almost about this floating fourth category where again going back to joker we don't have you know he's not specifically a hero he's not even an anti-hero i would argue in his film you know he is he is someone who has been obviously pushed to a point but you you do kind of root for him because he doesn't seem in any way a bad guy. He's a guy who is presented with a severe level of head trauma. He's been rejected by society, everyone who's ever known him. It's, you know, it's a fairly grim depiction of that character to the point where at the end you think, well, yeah, good for you <laughs> because you've now evolved into this, uh, you know, horrific, psychotic being. And you still, you root for that person though, right? And he's not the hero. He's not even the anti-hero. Dennis? Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dan? (laughs) Well, well, yeah, I mean, I I think the joke is an interesting interesting one, but a lot of the time, I think we, humanity craves a redemption story. There's, There's always this, I don't know, very high ceiling for forgiveness that we seem to give TV, film, and book characters where we somehow, you know, I don't know, it's it's like the Darth Vader, there is good in you type uh, analogy that applies to to so many other narratives. I mean, the Darth Vader is a funny one because it's like, okay, I know we didn't know this when we first watched Star Wars, but even now, you probably get to the end of Jedi, and you you know you're rooting for Darth Vader to 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 help Luke out. You want him to survive at the end when he does. But if you actually go back to what he was doing several films prior to that, where he was slaughtering an entire village of um, sand people and killing all the the, the child Jedi's. It's like, is that redeemable? Can can we actually go go beyond that? Um, can I can I just say something about that though? Because what's interesting is when you, depending on the order in which you see those films, uh, when you watch A New Hope, the original first Star Wars films, the first time that Darth Vader comes on screen as a villain, he's like an amazing villain, but 
he was very well liked by the audiences. He was a, he was like maybe one of the first popular villains. Like, oh my god, this guy's great, isn't he? So awful, isn't he great? You know, like what a you know, we need to see more of him. Like, I was kind of sad when he spins off at the end in his tie fighter. I'm like, oh, you know, what a great villain. And then he comes back in a second and third. In the prequels, they make him distasteful in what he does. You know, and that sort of edited the, to the things you just talked about, where he slaughters the kid Jedi in a, in a thing full of sand people. The way it's portrayed in those prequels actually makes him despicable and horrible, but not the way he's be, the, not the way he's betrayed later. And interestingly, That's there's an true. entire series of comics about Darth Vader, which is hugely popular. So you know, you could argue that he's one of the first villains that was so popular. He kind of got his own stories. Boba Fett is another example. Boba Fett, when he first shows up in Star Wars, he's meant to be a bad guy. He's a bounty hunter, and he's going to take down one of our favorite characters. Yeah, he was hugely popular. He got his own books and all sorts of stuff. So this has actually been happening for a while. Um, I wonder if it's because that ultimately these characters are just far more interesting. It's like you just said, we, we sort of crave a redemption story, but we also crave something to untangle something we don't understand, motivations. Why do these guys do what they do? And they present a far more complicated uh, approach to life because they've clearly, in both the cases we're talking about right now, have both got some weird twisted set of morals that we're sort of trying to untangle. Um, and can, can I give can I give one just I think I've mentioned this before in another podcast we did, but just another, a really funny example of where an audience is desperately rooting for the for for a villain to, to to turn hero to basically turn face in the middle of a film, and that's in Freddy versus Jason, because there's a moment where. I can't. I can't even remember the, the, the precise scene or context, but basically, um, Jason is fight. Sorry, yeah, Jason is fighting Freddy, and he inadvertently helps some of the teenagers in the film. He he basically they're about to be killed by Freddy, and Jason takes Freddy out of the picture briefly in that scene. And all the teenagers on on screen in that moment start to to cheer and root for for Freddy, who then sorry not Freddy oh god got to get this round the way root for Jason who then brutally kills about five of them in thirty seconds. <laughs> so it, it it was one of the most beautiful moments because you you could feel the tension in in the cinema in in the audience who are desperately rooting for one of these two characters to kind of become the hero and the other, the, you know, the, the villain. And obviously the, whoever wrote it, whoever directed it, I can't remember now played on that uh, and, and base and brutally uh, played the crowd and said, you know, Jason is just evil. There's no way he's going to do anything uh, positive uh, knowingly, which which really at the time, you know, it it was one of the, the funniest things. The gasp from the crowd when he just after saving the teenagers, he then just killed them. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was brutal, but also very very funny. That's a great point. I mean, how old is that film, Adam Chest? 
Ooh, uh, I think it was something like 2007, 2006, maybe. The first film I would cite as where you kind of, you, you, like you said, you wanted the, the, the villain to, to kind of, the, uh, the, yeah, the first film I can think of where I almost rooted for the villain was, no spoilers, because uh, I know one of us hasn't seen it, but Heat and uh, Robert De Niro's uh, character uh, in it, who is, you know, uh, plays opposite Pacino's uh, cop who's, you know, trying to catch him. Um, but, you know, it, it, that was the first film I can think of where they had such a brilliant, balance of two characters that could really just have been great friends um had they not been on you know sheer opposite sides of the law and you know De Niro's character is absolutely the villain there is no no doubt about it but you know you can't help but kind of really root for him uh to kind of almost get some kind of happy ending whether or not he gets that I'm not revealing obviously um but um (laughs) it's uh yeah that was the first one I could think of where yeah, I, I had that kind of feeling for the the villain. Dennis, is there anything you can that, think of? A, um, so uh, I, just, I was just going to say very quickly, that's a good example, because that's 95, mm. whereas Freddy versus Jason was 2003. Sorry, Dennis. Uh, no, I'm trying to think of where the first example of where you might be rooting for the villain is. I can't off the top of my head think of one, but I can... Uh, yeah, I can think of some other earlier examples... Oh, no, give me a moment. Police Academy. Right Sorry? Mm. Police Academy. Police Academy. <laughs> <laughs> Who, Mauser? <laughs> no, no, Mr. Z. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Z. Um, yeah. Uh, I did have an example a minute ago, but I was thinking, I was just thinking myself that it happens in TV as well because you've got series now like Lucifer. I've not seen yeah. a series, but effectively you've made a series with the devil as the main character. Um, I was also thinking of the Al Pacino film. I don't remember what it's called, where he plays the devil. Devil's advocate. No, uh, Devil's advocate. Devil's advocate. And you're kind of rooting for him or not rooting for him because he's, you know, he's, you can tell what's going on. The mechanic in that film is quite clear, but he's a very likable character in that film mm. for the most part, even yeah. though he's clearly represents everything that's evil. Mm. I love that, that final scene, right? When he tells him everything kind of, yeah, I, yeah I love that scene. It's awesome. Oh, I just thought of one. I mean, I, they're not, they're not villains, but they are definitely anti-heroes and that, uh, and this goes way back. The A-team. I no, the, the A-team. Well, first of all, First of all, they were persecuted <laughs> for crimes that they didn't commit. Yes, absolutely. You're right. right. They, yeah. And that's very clearly stated. But they are vigilantes, though. Yes. But they're, they're not working for the law, and they were imprisoned. I mean, how do we know? <laughs> we could, we, well, because they tell us in the opening credits. I don't believe a voiceover. Oh, I do. <laughs> I do. If you, Dan, if you can't believe a voiceover, then you, you, you're lost. You're lost to the world. You've got to believe a voiceover. Oh, no. That means I'm going to have to pay my taxes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the different thing from a vigilante. I mean, if you start to break all these different types of anti-heroes and villains down, there are many categories. I mean, where would you place Deadpool? He's technically a villain, Is I he? Think. Yeah, well, is he? <laughs> well, I think if you're killing, I mean, you're a villain. Well, well this is the point. He- 
then he lives he lives completely by his own rules. Mm. I know he he will team up with the good. It's one of the archetypes Imran you described. I can't remember which one, but he will basically do what it takes to meet whatever whatever agenda um, suits him. So so he will do whatever it takes to get to get what he wants, and sometimes that means being arguably a good guy or do or, or teaming up with the heroes i mean i think the film version is a little bit different he's definitely it feels a lot softer uh, not quite as um you know evil as some of the stuff he, i mean some of the stuff he does in the comics is ridiculously bad he doesn't do it in the film but you know if you if you read some deadpool comics He's a pretty, you know, I mean, he's a lovable character because he's, you know, fast-witted and he's funny. But some of the stuff he does is is terrible. So have you just put your <laughs> finger on it there is in that we, as an audience now, will rate, uh, say, someone, someone being funny above their moral compass? Oof. Because maybe that's it. I think as long as they've got, I, I think it goes back to what you were saying. As long as they've got layers, as long as we can un, 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 unravel the puzzle and, and find out that you know they that there are that there's conflicts that it's not just straightforward. It's not black and white. I think people gravitate towards villains when we know that at, at any given time. Their, their motivations change. And, you know, they're, they're, every DC TV show you ever watch, there's there's a villain who, f- for, for four seasons, will be the, you know, the villain that they're all fighting. And then there'll be one season where there's another bigger villain that they've got, got to go against and ergo, they have to then go back to the villain that they've defeated to team with that villain to beat the bigger villain. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a well trodden. Yeah, I mean that's that's part. also partly lazy storytelling, isn't it? Uh, well, so, yeah, that as well. On the subject of DC uh, TV series, in Arrow, in the first season of Arrow, half the season he's killing everyone. You have failed this city, and he puts an arrow through them, and he only sort of turns around from that, you know, a little. I'm not even sure if it's in the first season. I can't remember how far in he stops putting arrows through people and killing them. And we sort of completely accept that as the audience because we know he's going to become a good guy. Good guy. Now, in the society, in the real world we lived in, there's no situation where if you were a vigilante and you had slaughtered 25 people just because you decided to start being a good guy, you wouldn't be forgiven for those crimes. No, that's very true. So there Isn't is that, that down to audiences, though. Yes, and also the mechanic of TV, where things work magically different than they do in reality. It's not. I mean, we don't watch television and films to get reality, really. Yeah, but there used to be like an like. Isn't that like? Used to, you'd hear it a lot with soap stars, wouldn't you? Or, or no, or TV stars where they would do something horrible in their show, and then they do an interview in real life and say, "Oh, you know what? How do people respond?" And <laughs> They say, oh, I was walking down the street and then this person screamed at me, said, how could you do that to David? Yeah. You know, we're kind of out of that, I guess. I, I, from When I say audiences, isn't it like people look at things as like a creative thing in terms of like what a great, fully fledged, fully rounded 
kind of interesting character that this person's playing, whether it's a, a dastardly villain no. or like I'm watching Walking Dead at the moment and, you know, I'm in season nine and it looks like Negan of all people is becoming a good guy. And it's like, are we, are we we're going to accept that? I don't think we are past that as an audience. No. I think you'll find that amongst the proles, um, people still throw eggs at the whoever's the bad guy in EastEnders or, you know. Well, they, they, the, the newspapers, particularly things like The Sun, The Mirror, Star, the, the really low-rent tabloids, they, they still report storylines in soap operas as if they're news. <laughs> well, uh, look, Dan, what would you prefer? Storylines from soap operas presented as, they, as if they're news fake dramas uh, and fake reality TV, Love Island, whatever, sure presented as its news, or clips from social media presented as its news. Because that's <laughs> that I've just named, in, that, in those three, 75% of the news. Wow. Which one? Of it, or, or anywhere. And 10% of it is probably health pandemic related and there's a tiny little sliver of actual news so anyway let's not go there let's not go there (laughs) very true i wanted to ask about um i I imagine i'm asking dennis this question but dan obviously please chime in um but uh the venom uh character in that kind of Mm. is there a comic book history of him as I want to say a face, but as as a as an anti-hero, basically, has he ever assumed that role? Is that something completely new for? for no, it's, it's not something completely new because the other characters, Carnage and what have you, are all based on the comics as well. And mm-hmm. let's not forget that Venom first appears actually as a costume worn by Peter Parker, yeah, um, yeah. and sort of helps him be Spider-Man. So not completely new. But now I've never been a big venom follower or fan so i'm not maybe not the right person to ask but i don't think that's new for the movies that's definitely grounded in in comic book lore maybe distorted a bit or or played out of context a little bit but it's definitely grounded in comic book lore i think what's interesting with the comic book adaptations is that one thing that um dc does this more than marvel um but dc have a lot of standalone storylines with established characters which are not considered part of the canon timeline. The most uh, the, the most commonly cited one would be The Dark Knight or Dark Knight Returns, right? And that, for a lot of people, is canonical Batman, you know, where he goes up against Superman and against the state and, you know, gives, a, gives Green Arrow a kryptonite arrow to put through Superman. But that actually isn't any kind of real DC comic history. That's a what-if written by by Frank Miller in the 80s, effectively, yet it has influenced a lot of the movies and stuff. So, um, and I think what the, these, what the comic book companies and the film companies have realized from, from how popular those things are, that, um, that they can, you know, take those what-ifs or slight alterations of the timelines and make something out of them. When you think about it, Joker is exactly that, the Joker movie. Mm. It's not really rooted in the canonical backstory of the Joker and Batman that would appear in the comics, even though they referenced the, you know Wayne Manor in the film and all the rest of it. That's not how he becomes the Joker. 
in the well, comics. There isn't is a certified version, that's, is there? That's not true. That's not true, is it? I thought um, in in the film, it it's similar to the Killing Joke, but the Killing the Killing Joke isn't also completely canonical, is it? I mean, I guess it depends on which yeah, era true. of Batman you take to be the origin of Batman and the Joker and stuff, because I said, yeah, that, that's, that's the problem that DC as a comic book company has always faced. Marvel's actually a lot better at that, at, you know, sort of maintaining one timeline. So. It's, yeah. I mean, I guess, <clears throat> yeah, you're right. But I, but I suppose killing joke, as far as I know, I, I'm not um, up on, on everything DC wise, comic wise, but as far as I know, that's the only ever attempt to give Joker an origin story. May not may not be canon, but um, some of what happens in the Joker movie because he he try he attempts to be a comedian is is quite similar to what happens in the Killing Joke. Right. Um, but, I mean, if you yeah. look up, if you look him up, uh, in say just if you go to Wikipedia, you'll see that he's got a number of different backstories, a number depending on the age of. So maybe that's not a great example. I think my point was they've taken mm-hmm. one of those, um, which and they, you know, you're right about the killing joke, um, uh, to, to a certain degree, and seen how popular that is and made a film out of it. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I think I think um, Spider Man definitely has teamed quite a few times with Venom. Um, I believe against Carnage, which is obviously why they've they've probably done it in the film. Even though, I mean, I, I'm not. I, I've read quite a few Venom comics, but I don't. That the Venom you see, Tom Hardy symbiote. Venom, it, it's very, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel the same as what you see in yeah. the comics, but, you know, I guess they're, they're just kind of building that towards the, the audience that they, they think wants it. So just, just, sorry, just going back to the killing joke, I think the difference between the joke movie and the killing joke, isn't it such that in the killing joke, his origin is intertwined with Batman? It's Batman that causes him to go into the back fat of chemicals and burn his face and go insane and stuff. Whereas in the Joker movie, there is no Batman involvement. Uh, so the Waynes, I guess, isn't it? In terms of they've impacted him to an extent. Yeah, but he's not because he's having a fight no, no. with Batman and he yeah. falls in a vat of chemicals. <laughs> no, no. Right, that's what I mean. So, so yes, I see. I don't you're, think you're, that happens in The Killing Joke. I no, don't, I it don't does. Think... Yeah, I does just it? read it. Like, while well, we were talking, I read the oh. whole comic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it says, uh, let, let me just quote from here, like, Batman, the killing joke, built on the Joker's 1951 origin story, portraying him as a failed comedian, pressured into committing crime as the Red Hood to support his pregnant wife. Batman's interference oh, yes, causes him yes, to leap yeah. into a chemical vat which disfigures him. This, combined with the trauma of his wife's earlier accidental death, causes him to go insane and become the Joker. That's not the story of the Joker film. The failed comedian no, 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 no. bit, yes, but not the rest of it. That's Yeah, no, that's the only bit they've They've yeah. kind of cherry picked yeah. and taken out. Although, if you think about it, it it's similar in that he he you know in in the Killing Joke he's not 
he's not a bad person at the start. Right. He's not even insane or doesn't have any kind of issues like uh, Joaquin Phoenix does. But in a, in a similar way, he gets pushed over the edge. Mm. He, he gets forced to do things um, that at the start he, he probably wouldn't have done. Um, I think the, the interesting thing about uh, Joaquin Phoenix's um, Joker or depiction of Joker is that he's, he's – I appreciate he does have his issues – you know, he does have. It's like he's got a form of Tourette's, but he's almost a blank canvas, and society turns him into what he becomes. And he's, you know, they. they it's interesting that they 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 pick someone who is is fairly. He's weak in stature. I mean, he's so thin mm. in that in that film, and he doesn't have a huge sense of presence or voice to start off with. And it's, it's almost like, yeah, society basically creates every aspect of what he becomes. It's like, you know, he, he's, he's printed, he's 3d printed by how the world treats him, which Mm. I think is, is a very interesting way to kind of evolve that villain, because I think that that's another one. Of, that's one of the, the, the you know, I, I think the amazing things about the, the Joker in the in the comics and in the other films is that he, you know, that he is. He, there's nothing big, physical about him. Him and the Riddler, it's it's all about their their brains and their their kind of ability. So- this is a case where you could say like i sort of made the joke about you know humor outweighing uh crime this is one where his humanity outweighs the crimes that he does because not his humanity his uh maybe we can all identify with being bullied and picked on and being forced by society to do things and heinous things that we don't want to do and that's what we feel for in him but we can see why he's doing the things he's doing is that is that why we maybe root for the villain in this case? Yeah, I think so. Because I don't know, there, there must be a part of all of us. Obviously, it depends on who you are and how how you were brought into this world and your experience of this world. But I think a part of us all would quite like to rebel against society and and not have to... It's not, not, not so much the rules. I'm not saying we... You know, we all automatically just want to kill people or be be horrible and do do all these kind of villainous acts that you know that we're we're not we're not allowed to by society. But I think of when when you think about how you know the wider society, how we judge people, what what we think is what we think is someone who's good looking. What, how how things are depicted on TV, you know, you know, you've got to have muscles, abs, social media, you know, everything around us, you know, almost, you know, society shapes our our kind of set of of, of morals, expectations, how how we view things, and how and and how we we value things, and I think maybe deep down. 
it's quite good to challenge that and say, look, you know, some some of the things that we are are told or even subliminally by just pounded by advertising that tells us that we should we should look a certain way, we should mm. buy a certain product, we should own certain things. Success is a big house, a big car, a big salary. Do you know what I mean? I think there's there's I know I've gone off the deep end with this, but I think there's an element of all of us which just wants to say, you know what, it, wouldn't it just be nice to have the freedom to do what you want without constantly being judged and without having all these kind of things that you're supposed to be rammed down your throat? But well, I'm going to end it there. So, that was okay, a, so if I, if I could quickly jump in. with Okay, I, when I first saw The Joker great movie but there was something about it that i just couldn't click with there was something about it that i just wasn't comfortable with and it's taken me till today to figure out what it was because i've never really been able to articulate what just i found very unsatisfactory about the movie and when you look at at that movie in light of other examples that we've talked about maleficent etc etc um what they did with the Joker was they removed the element, the the, the glorious mystique of evil, mm. and that's that's what I've I finally realized that's what I didn't like about the film. They they removed it, and I think that with with any kind of, I suppose looking at the Batman Joker dynamic, it's it's always been that yin yang, and it's been you know one of the most revered and celebrated comic book rivalries and i think that that i know this is just like a one standalone movie and that we'll never see that pairing of joaquin's joker you know with a batman i understand that but what i don't like is you i didn't think it's not a yin and yang anymore Mm. do you know what i mean you 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 removed everything that made not made joker joker but you remove that element of evil if you compare it with uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, which I imagine we would all agree is one of the best on-screen villains ever in any context. It, it, you know that is mm. we, we don't get a sympathetic version of him in terms of we, he, he's not humanized. We look at that guy as deranged, crazy, psychotic, but evil. You know he relishes in in the chaos, and uh, you know it's but, it's a great version but, of sorry, that character. You- but I didn't need a, a human aspect to it. To appreciate it. But just to interject on that, it's quite... I mean, it's, that's a fantastic example because um, Heath Ledger's Joker continuously plays plays with that, that expectation. Yes. Because he's constantly... Changing his, his um, origin story and stuff like that, right? Yeah. yeah, which is amazing because, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan knew that people want to always want a kind of, you know, a backstory. Well, I actually read it was Heath Ledger who rejected the idea of a backstory. I think that they may have had a definitive one going into that film, but I think Heath Ledger said, no, he wanted to remove that human aspect to the character and keep everything almost just ambiguous. So I think that that alternate, I um, actually I don't know who who came up with the idea of retelling his origin story in different ways or different stories, but I believe that there was a backstory, and Heath Ledger just thought I I I don't think that this is the best way around it. I don't know who came up with the idea of doing it differently, but um, yeah, I think going into it, there was supposed to be one. 
Well, mm. even that that makes the whole Heath Ledger's legendary status mm. even even more legendary if that's mm. the case. Because I, I always, I, for years, I, I've loved kind of you know if you you read forums and articles that talk about uh, who, who basically speculate for fun where the Joker came from, and there's some great. There's some really in-depth theory, fan theories that he was a, a veteran who basically survived a number of tours in Iraq and, and came back with such bad um, is it PTSD that he, you know, he just became unhinged and started to fight against the, you know, the society that effectively, you know, th- threw him into modern warfare. Um, before this completely becomes a podcast about the Joker, um, <laughs> just a couple of things. First of all, just to close that, yes, he is a legendary, most revered villain of all time, but I don't think he can really put him on the same page as someone like Dirty Den from EastEnders. Right. Secondly, EastEnders um, has never had this many references in one <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but I just want to go back to what you said earlier about, you know, where do we go back to for rooting for the villain? And I've been thinking about it the whole time we've been talking and, I think, for me personally, in terms of the cinema, the theatre experience, where I, you know, where we were watching a film about effectively the bad guy, could it possibly have been in the early '90s, falling down with Michael Douglas? Right. Oh, that's a good call. And I, I remember at the time watching that, thinking, I don't know if I've ever seen that before where the main character of the film is just the guy who's had enough and he's just going to go nuts. But, okay, so, right, let me jump on that. That's really interesting. And, again, this ties into Joker a little bit now as well. But he, I only saw that film once. Me too. A really long time ago, so I I might get elements of this very wrong. But if, if a guy hits a breaking point and snaps, right, they're not necessarily operating under sound mind and body right right? which again is that removal that decision making process that that decision that a person makes to okay it's gonna sound lame but to be evil it sounds like i'm trying to go back to that Mm two-dimensional dastardly and absolutely Mm -hmm. not but again I, i i think i like that as the line you know when someone does decide to cross that line and then become something that either they wanted to be or something that they never thought they would be, but it's a decision. Okay. And I love that point in a film. And there's so many great films that where they've done that, where the person does it and you gasp and they initially think they were the hero and they've done, they killed the person. You think oh, there's no going back for you now. So that's very interesting because I think we've just completely lost lots from cinema. So the most, the most recent big bad guy in, in sort of modern popular cinema, you could argue is Thanos. Right, but when you boil it down, most people would possibly agree with the basis for what he's doing, right? And that uh, he's a complicated character, isn't he? Yeah, but again, the brilliance of Thanos is he believes he's the hero, and that's the brilliance of 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 his whole thing. It does is it the Kantian um, uh, philosophy of you know, there's a Kantian, there's a rival philosophy as well. I should look this up. But, you know, would you kill uh, one person to save a hundred? Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that's ultimately, you know, Thanos says yes. But then is it the Kantian theory that is no, to kill that person is to kill the whole world because you've killed, you know, in how it, even if it's to save other others, it's you've 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 you've, you've crossed the line and there's no going back no matter right. even, even if you save them so there's that that philosophical debate but which again is the brilliance of Thanos. whether it's right or wrong he's not just purely evil it's not like he's doing this because he's got a reason for doing it which he can justify and some mm-hmm. of us might agree with it's not like the classic you know very often classic comic book or or screen villain who's doing it just for money or yeah. just for the sake of it or just, I mean, and that kind of criminal has been moved into a different category now, the psychotic killer, the serial killer. You're more likely to see that kind of criminal in a horror movie than in a regular action film, right? Right. It feels like even if you, even if you watch something to do with South American drug lords, right, there's going to be a moment where you're seeing it from their point of view and they're providing for their barrio back home and, you know, they're seen as local heroes. Same with the mafia. You know, there's, they've got a code and depending on which side of the line you stand off on, you can see them in a certain moral light. They're not just purely evil for evil's sake. And is, is it that because we've just moved on as an audience in terms of the intelligence of the stories we want to hear because we all know that life is more complicated than that. I mean, in real life, there are very few examples of people who are that black and white. If you want to see that, you're probably better off looking at something like Mindhunter, for instance, which is a great example. And again, it's serial killers, right? So, yeah. And that's not quite, when we talk about the on-screen villain, you're probably not including the serial killer in it, are you? Fair point. So I think I think that's it. It's the, the the complexity, the interest in the story, and it's us looking for reflections of the dark side of ourselves. Maybe I don't know. Nice. Could be. Mm. Okay, think- great. Thanks for listening, people. <laughs> We've uh, that's a, that was a great that was a great podcast. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> I don't know. In a weird way, it is a perfect way to close it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah. Um, there's sort of, I don't know how to sort of summarize it. There's, I, I, I feel like if you, it creates a platform I, with, right. With, with any kind of movie, I feel like I've raised this in a past LF episode that we recorded uh, a while, well, many years ago, but that notion of, I just feel like I need someone to root for in a movie, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I, I, and I don't mean that in terms of the shiny white knight, you know, again, that dastardly villain sort of thing. I, but it is, I need someone to root for. And I feel like if you're going to create kind of um, uh, uh, scenarios and create stories where the villain is the sympathetic one, the hero is the sympathetic one, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of losing the dynamic of, you know, where, where things kind of stand. Does that make any sense? I don't want, I have no desire to see uh, like Joaquin's Joker against the Batman. Right. You know, because I, 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 I empathize with, with him and I feel sorry for him. I want to see Batman hug him, not beat him up. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, I feel like if you're going to change these kind of these, these, these sort of established dynamics, I'm not entirely sure where the future for those characters kind of 
uh, goes. Have either of you seen The Suicide Squad? The first one. No, the, the one that's out now. No, I've seen the first one. Okay. Dan? I have. You have? Yeah. Because to a certain degree, not giving anyways, any spoilers, they effectively do what we've been talking about in that movie with a lot of the characters, but also the main big bad. It's very hard to talk about it without getting <laughs> spoilers, so I'm not going to. <laughs> but I think, Dan, you know, what I'm refer- levels, you know what I'm referring I, to, right? So Yeah, no, 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 completely. I mean... I don't know how to no, do that. No, no. Sorry, sorry, listeners. Yeah. We'll have to come back for that. So. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It, it, yeah, it definitely does that. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we can't talk about it. All right. Well, Dan, you any any concluding thoughts for yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think pretty much what Dennis says that there, there's a bit of there's a bit of darkness. In all of us, we, we probably, deep down, we would quite like to break a few rules. And I think we we kind of live vicariously through these characters. It gives us an opportunity to sort of indulge in in, in sort of that, that sort of fantasy aspect, I guess, of, of living in, in a society where we are, we are bounded by very, very kind of strict rules so yeah i think it, it probably deep deep down i'm not saying we all want to go on vicious murdering spree or if the 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 guy in mcdonald's tells us we can't have breakfast because it's <laughs> 10 minutes past 11 we're gonna pull a shotgun on him but i'm i'm sure you know we we've all felt like michael douglas yeah did in that film on on numerous occasions. So. Just just an hour ago, you guys have actually calmed me down and stopped me going on a rampage. Oh, again. Oh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm speechless. I, I don't know if we can explore that any further while recording. But <laughs> um, should we um, notify the local authorities in Canada? Yeah, don't say bonjour hi. We can say bonjour hi to those guys. That's okay. <laughs> that's what we call full circle gang definitely yeah. a time to end it totally uh thank so you so much to, to both of you i really enjoyed it i've wanted to have this conversation for a while so uh i appreciate you um indulging me uh, and thank you guys for listening um once again you've been listening to close encounters of the nerd kind podcast first episode um new episodes on the first and third of every month and we'd graciously appreciate you checking us out at forever in electric dreams.com uh from me imran uh it is farewell from daniel j collicott and dennis jose of course as well uh thank you again until next time bye-bye see you later adieu <laughs>